0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the NFL season is officially complete. The Buccaneers did what the 49ers were not able to do last year. Could we learn any lessons from the team that finished the job? And with me this week to discuss Tom Brady rage eating an avocado, its special guest, George Shahuri. George is the data scientist and head of content at Pro Football Focus. He's the host of the PFF Forecast He's the third wheel on the Chris Collinsworth and Richard Sherman podcast, and he is also a fellow 49ers fan. He joins to see what lessons we can take away from the Super Bowl, what the 49ers need to do to get back to the mountaintop, and even what he would do at number 12 in the NFL draft. We start off with some fun questions on the top. If if you don't know who Eric Eager is, it's his co-host on the PFF forecast. He is a Chiefs fan. Uh, and so that's where where we begin. We dive right in. And so here's my conversation with George Shahuri. George Shahuri, it's a pleasure to have you back. I wanted to start off right at the top and ask you how Eric is doing after his Chiefs, <laughs> after his Chiefs lost. I can only imagine the the soul crushing place that he was in. Very very different than last season. Uh, but but how's he doing? Checking in on our friend Eric.
1: Let's let's let me take you through. Let me give you a little timeline here. So. First off, this man could not have been more confident. uh, Like he was a glowing light the entire two weeks leading to the Super Bowl, leading up to the Super Bowl. And um, that that's a bad sign. Right. That's never a good thing. And then um, we get to Super Bowl Sunday. We go out myself, Eric and Austin, go grab uh, a bite to eat like four o'clock. And my man is rolling. I mean, he is ready to go. Liquid diet only for my guy Eric Eager. And I'm sitting there at like 5:30. I'm like, man, they better they better win because if not, it's going to be a very sad, sad situation. And so, of course, they get destroyed. And um, and Eric and I tried to record a podcast at you know after the game. And let me just put it this way. He was squinting at his laptop. <laughs> so at this point, the fact that he is no longer, you know, hung over is honestly like that's a real plus.
0: Man, I've, I've been there. Trust me. I can sympathize. I, I don't know that I remember uh, all of the components of the 2012 Super Bowl. Not going to lie. Uh, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe the first thing that uttered my uh, that came out of my mouth the morning after was did we win? Uh, to my wife. Well, now wife, mm-hmm. then girlfriend. Uh, yeah. It would have been terrible had we actually won. Um, but <laughs> we almost did. Yeah, exactly. I would have missed it all. Um, other okay, question, course. Other question. How does it feel to be besties with Richard Sherman? Uh,
1: it's, it, you know what? It's good. Um, I am lucky enough to get to sit in on, um, you know, Richard and Chris's weekly podcast. Although I've got to say, I do kind of feel like a pinch hitter. Um, this past week, we were uh, slotted to have uh, a Bucks player on. It was We had a, a Bucs and a Chiefs player lined up, um, depending on who won. And um, the the Bucs player had to back out at the last minute. He might have been too on over. And uh, so, so Chris is like, why don't you just come on? You, you know all the numbers about the Super Bowl. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I'm a real step down. But at least I get to talk to... Richard and, and Richard is a cool dude, man. He, um, he's, he doesn't pull any punches, especially now that he's a free agent and, um, coaches are lining up to get on the podcast to tamper with them. So it's pretty great.
0: I know it's awesome. It's, it's really been one of the the podcasts that's kind of slid into my rotation of ones that I definitely listen to now. Um, some of the insights they have some of the stories they have really, really, really first rate. Um so it's, I'm glad that you've that you get a a little moment in the sun with 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 <laughs> Richard. Uh, <laughs> man and the last question right off the top because I figured you know we're going to hit you with the the quick hits right here at the very top as opposed to at the end because this is where the fun stuff is. I would like I to know in your best estimation what put Tom Brady in the state that he was in where he had to be walked off of the harbor like an inmate mm. in the in the mental and physical state that he was in. What in your opinion was what put him
1: there i i can tell you exactly what it was okay because everyone i i tom brady i guarantee you has not stopped since the um since the the final whistle blew okay and i've done this once or twice in my lifetime never won a super bowl but the whole like three straight days of just going all out and the point he was at, I would guess that he probably hadn't had a solid meal in like, you know, 72 hours. So I am guessing it is a combination of no food. Maybe he had like a couple almonds, you know, avocado toast, but nothing real solid. And tequila. I mean, that, that was, it was, I've seen it. I've been there. Um, I don't know that I've ever had to be walked off a boat, um, <laughs> but uh I've spent like five days in Cabo and slept a total of, of eight hours. So, you know, I, I feel like I can kind of commiserate with him,
0: man. I just feel like he was rage eating avocados the whole time. <laughs> just, just, a com- just a complete, you know, lipid induced stupor that, that. You a lot know, of
1: fat though. A lot of fat, you know, maybe he, maybe it was just, you know, maybe it was just like a couple, um, you know, piece of broccoli or something like that.
0: Good Lord. Well, it's, it was a, it was a fun game. I I actually this is a game where I enjoyed more of the coaching than the actual game. I think if if I'm watching the game and I'm being honest, I'm a little bored, as as not you know not really having a horse in the race in this case. But when I think about what happened in the game and and I stopped and I was listening to podcasts, reading articles, the 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 things that happened in this game to me I thought were instructive and maybe had some lessons, especially a year removed from the Niners not being able to do to the Chiefs what. The Bucks were able to do to the Chiefs, so that's really what I wanted to talk about today. Some of the lessons from the Super Bowl, and and I'll ask you some questions. We'll see if you've got any takeaways that that might be interesting. Uh, since you know you're you've got all the numbers, you're officially uh, Chris and Richards' uh, statistician. So I'm the sure guinea pig, in. right?
1: <laughs> the- I, look, I'll, I'll I'll I you know I think it's interesting. I would just start off with I I so we had Peter King on the the PFF forecast today. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to have him on was that he was obviously in Tampa. He talked to Reed, he talked to Arians, he was there. And I asked him, you know, I, I said, you know, what was your biggest surprise? And um, I'm not gonna say what his biggest surprise was, but it led us down the path of what was so different about this Super Bowl compared to the Niners Super Bowl. And in reality, not not a ton. <laughs> there wasn't a ton diff- different. Um, the Chiefs were anemic on offense for the majority of the game, um, and uh, the big the big differences were that the Niners did not have ten penalties called on their opponent, like the Bucks did. Um, the, the Chiefs only got called for two penalties in that Niners game. They got called for ten um, against the Bucks. And this is not to take away from the Bucks, but really to emphasize how small the margins are. Um, and, and then, you know, the offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs in this game was dramatically worse. Um, and so I think one of the big lessons that I took away from this game was, you know, man, timing is timing is everything. Because if you're telling me that the Bucks, you know, with Brady play last year's Chiefs, I think there's a good chance it's a different game. And if the Niners play this Chiefs team, um, I think you and I are celebrating uh, a, a Niners Super Bowl right now.
0: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the margins and what happens really at the end of the half. And I saw the end of the half here and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this, this is what you do if, if you're a team facing the Chiefs. Really, if you're a team trying to win a game, you try to score points at the end of the half. I think about what the Niners did at the end of the half in their Super Bowl. They didn't use a timeout after the Chiefs were held on third down with like two minutes left in the second quarter. And then when they get the ball back, they, they run and then they run again. And they're letting the clock run, which is basically a give up. They were fine going in with a 10-10 tie. And, and the Bucks, on the other hand, were able to get points out of the final drive that they had because they did not sit on their hands. They weren't comfortable with 10-10. They didn't think everything was going to break their way. They were like, no, 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 we've got our foot on the throat. Let's, let's keep pressing. Um, and, and I think those are the types of margins that I think about, you know, what, what, what tilted the game here. Um, you know, that wasn't just it. Obviously, there were a lot of other things. I think you mentioned the pressure. but but that that was one of the things that really sh- like shone like a light to me and the difference in how each team attacked the same, you know the, the same opponent in that one was super aggressive. and in Shanahan, you know, we we've talked about his aggression before,
1: yeah, it it was frustrating <laughs> to watch this end of the half versus last year's end of the half. It's a great point. It was something that. Um, actually Richard talked about with a lot more, um, passion than I anticipated him to talk about. And I probably shouldn't have because of, of how that ended I, I, I really recommend going, listening to him kind of recap this one because for someone that had just played the chiefs in a super bowl to hear him break this one down, it was fascinating, but we talked about the timeout. So the Pat, uh, the bucks, <laughs> the bucks have third and two. Oh, they're at like their own forty-five, and Reed calls a timeout. And the idea that they were going to stop this Bucks team two yard with two yards to go in the middle of the field—I don't know, um, you know what sort of uh, jungle juice he was drinking, um, but it it was the wrong kind because, like, you were.
0: Must have slipped some on Tom Brady a little bit later. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Right. Maybe it was the same, uh, the same tequila, but like that allowed. So not only, not only did the chiefs, you know, fail to do the things when they had the ball and convert and be aggressive. And um, but then they compounded it with these really terrible mistakes that the timeout allows Brady time to, you know, call a play. There's no way that you're calling a timeout and Brady's not getting a play that's gaining two yards on your dinky defense. You know, I I think the Chiefs defense is probably underrated here, but let's be honest, that just means they weren't one of the worst five defenses in the NFL. Um, That was a massive mistake. All of the um, penalties, you know, I think they got unlucky on a few. Um, The the Matthew one certainly was a little weird, Um, but they they line up offsides on a field goal, you know, and that results in a touchdown. Um, So I, I do think the end of half was really... Uh, illustrative. And I I wonder if part of that is the mentality. I wonder if the Niners felt as though they were more of an underdog than the Bucks felt. And I wonder if part of that isn't that the Bucs had a full week at home in the Super Bowl city and the Chiefs were freezing their ass off while one of their coaches was driving drunk, you know, at, in Kansas City. Like, and I don't mean to make light of that, but I really think that was a distraction. And I think they, they were out of it. They were out of the narrative. You know, you'd go to ESPN, you'd see the Bucks reporter there in the midst of it. You'd go to the chiefs reporter and it's like, you know, I forget who it was out there freezing their ass off in, in Arrowhead's, you know, uh, parking lot. Like it was just a weird, it was a weird thing. And I felt like that trans translated onto the field for the way the, the chiefs played.
0: it's so funny. You mentioned the, the underdog mentality, because for me, if, if I'm an underdog, I, I don't rest on the laurel. I'm looking for high variance strategies because I'm looking for any any little edge that I can find. Um, you know, it's it's like, oh man, if I'm really an underdog, it's a surprise that it's ten ten. So I've got to maximize my opportunity for points here, not not give them more opportunities to do it, which is it's just such
1: it's yeah, such but a- Oscar, but oscar, you're you're thinking of it pragmatically in the <laughs> moment NFL coaches are going, if I, The NFL coaches in a lot of situations, instead of thinking that way, start with, I was a huge underdog. I'm surprised it's 10-10. I better not fuck this up. I just don't want to lose the game now. They're so afraid of losing the game in an embarrassing way that they're unwilling to try and win it.
0: so, So here's the other thing that I was thinking of when I was watching Patrick Mahomes run for his life was the 49ers roster-building strategy kind of validated in this game. In, in that, you saw Mahomes get a, a, a ton of pressure. He was pressured on 31 dropbacks, 55%, which is absurd. Uh, last year's Super Bowl, the Niners got a, a pretty good number of pressures on him. I mean, it was pressured 21 times on 51 dropbacks, 41%. I mean, that, that 14% is a pretty big swing, but he was still under a fair bit of pressure. You've got Vita Vea, and Sue. Shaq Barrett, who is what D Ford should have been, he's the guy the Niners should have signed instead of D Ward, uh, D Ford. You've got good linebacker play from Devin White, Levante David, Levante David, and coverage, of course, is Fred Warner. Is is this kind of build from the front defense that that Lynch and Shanahan agreed upon as their philosophical tenant when they met? Um, yeah, I don't know if you, if you've read Matt Barrow's book, uh, if these walls could talk, but he talks about when when Lynch and Shanahan met and, and the thing, you know, basically it's like, what do you think about football? What do I think about football? And they both said, okay, you need to, you know, find your quarterback, duh. And you need to have a really good defensive line. Apparently that's the two things that these two people bonded over. And, and, you know, we, we've long talked about coverage and whatnot. Um, but is, is the amount of pressure that they were able to get, does that kind of justify how the 49ers have built their team and just only highlighted that they didn't have Tom Brady?
1: Yes and no. Um, Shaq Barrett was an undrafted free agent. Jason Pierre-Paul blew off half of his fingers and is no longer with the team that drafted him. So the takeaway that I have from this game is you need to be well-rounded enough to take advantage of a team's weaknesses. But as much as the pass rush is getting credit, I I look at something different. Todd Bowles' coverage scheme And the way those coverage players played in this game was first and foremost the highlight. Patrick Mahomes held onto the ball an average of three point five seconds. Do you think he did that because he wanted to? No, absolutely not. And yes, there were some times where the Bucks got quick pressure. Yes, they had some really cool, um, you know, with only four rushers, um, you know, stunts and schemes up front. But that's scheme. And that's a huge part of, of pass rushing um, and being able to put those guys in a position to win. So I still don't, I, I still don't think it's necessarily validated and that you have to go get, you know, a pass rusher in the first round or that pass rusher, elite pass rushers are way more valuable than everyone thinks. Because to me, Patrick Holmes held on the ball an average of 3.5 seconds per drop back, which was um, a solid like seven tenths of a second above his average. Which is absurd. I mean, that's absolutely absurd. And Todd Bull's scheme was per, was perfect. He played zero snaps of cover one man-to-man coverage. And that was down from about just under 20% during the year. He played, I think, one snap of cover three. Um, and uh that was, you know, if you look at cover three and cover one in week twelve when they played, that's where three of Mahomes' touchdowns. I think all three of Mahomes touchdowns came. So Um, to me, it's still about, you have to be solid in coverage. You cannot have a weak link in coverage. I don't think that the bucks really did. Um, and that allows a pass rush that is well-founded to be efficient. But if those coverage players couldn't hold up, I think this would have been a very different narrative.
0: Yeah. I keep thinking about the, the interception that was because the defender got his hand on the ball. I keep thinking about the, the defender that was always in phase on Kelsey and was right on his back, you know, and, and Kelsey ends up making, he drops the ball, but the defenders were, were sticky. They, they were close by in pass coverage. Even when Mahomes Holmes was able to, to doink the ball off the face mask of those receivers. He's just, he's, it was so bonkers. That's the other thing is like, he's, he as, as a quarterback can, he was more accurate, horizontal to the ground without a foot on the ground at 15 to 17 yards than, than Jimmy Garoppolo would be with both feet on the ground. Like, it, it was ridiculous how much he was just doinking passes everywhere, and it was good, but, y- you know... It's I, a low blow. I, it's, hey, <laughs> hey, this is what we're here for. We're, we're here, we're, don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about quarterbacks in a second, George. We'll talk about quarterbacks in a second, but y- you, you think about the... You, you talk about scheme, and I think scheme in this game was really important because I do think the scheme was... Uh, was really good from Todd Bowles, and he deserves all the praise that he gets. But these three safety looks, they're not—they're um, not super new. They're not some brand new innovation that football's never seen before. Carolina ran that three safety look a lot this season. It's because their defensive coordinator came from the Big Twelve. He was at Baylor. Comes with Matt Rule, uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, the the Bucks see these plays, these three safety looks. And what those three safety looks allowed the team to do was not give the same picture to Patrick Mahomes over and over and over again. You see three safeties that turned into single high. You, turned, you saw three safeties that, looked, that turned into two-man, Tampa two. It was a very, very versatile kind of look that then by the end of the game didn't really crop up too much because he already emptied that clip in the first half. Um, didn't blitz a whole hell of a lot, but just the idea that the, the Bucks defense was really talented but that talent alone isn't going to do it all in every instance, unless you have some ridiculously talented defense, like maybe the, the Seattle teams of the Legion of Boom or, or you know, the Ravens with the Ray Lewis, but just that combination of scheme and talent, not presenting the same picture twice to a quarterback, you know, it, it, makes, that, it makes it so that not even Mahomes is game script or defense proof when you can marry those two things. And, and I do think that, you know, I love Robert Sala. I think he's a great coach, and I think he he hopefully does well in New York. But I do think he presented a lot of very similar pictures to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and that may be what helped contribute to, you know, uh the friggin' Wasp play. So th- that was another thing that really stuck out to me, too, is that those three safety looks were awesome and they and they were great, but it the 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 three safety thing in and of itself wasn't what was cool. It was the fact that it allowed him to not give the same picture to Mahomes over and over and over again.
1: It it was so weird because You know, I, I still do think that the Niners game plan was sound and they had one lapse on one play and, you know, Nick Bosa's a semi hold away from making it obsolete. Um, and that was it, you know, and, and they tried to run a variation of, of wasp, you know, if like you know, looked like wasp, but then it wasn't. Um, and the bucks were just flat out ready for it. I've got to say this though. I I thought it was um, a pedestrian at best um, game plan from Andy Reid and the Chiefs. And I I don't want to totally blame Andy Reid. I think Mahomes deserves some of it um, because I, 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 and Richard mentioned this, needs to get better at the things that Tom Brady does so well, which is diagnose pre-snap, have a plan for getting the ball out quickly. I mean, Brady and Manning have played with some terrible offensive lines before, you know, and the Chiefs have too many weapons. I mean, <laughs> I didn't see them run a whole lot of misdirection. It wasn't anything really new. They tried a couple of vanilla screens that got absolutely pumped. Um, I, I just, I, I I get that what Tampa did was totally different. And kudos, This is where Todd shine. He didn't blitz, as you mentioned, again, he didn't blitz in week 12 but he changed the coverage on the back end completely and did so without confusing his team. That's the thing that you worry about. If you're going to change what you do all season, are you going to be able to do it without a mistake? Because NFL teams are so good that if you make a mistake, even if it's a coverage they struggle with, they will find it. And they didn't make that mistake. Right. And that was what the Niners, um, what the Niners did. So uh, I, I think a lot of it though has to fall on Andy Reed because it's not what they did is it was different than what they did in week 12, but it's not new to this planet. And if you're going to be the offensive wizard that everyone thinks, you know, that he is, and I, I still do believe that Andy Reid is an offensive wizard. You got to have a B move. You got to have something where if they go out and they play a different coverage after you totally rip them in week 12. I don't think that's ridiculous to assume they might change things up. You got to have a plan. You can't go in. The weekend was on stage for what? 80 minutes. The weekend filmed a whole Bond movie during halftime and they couldn't <laughs> come up with one single thing. They didn't have anything. They were pre- prepping for two weeks. They didn't get another 30 minutes. Just draw something up.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely wild. That, that halftime show. I, I, I like the weekend. I've seen him live uh, at ACL. It was a fun show. This one, you know, I wasn't I wasn't too too nuts about it. I think when they were out on the field, that's finally when it was like, okay, this is kind of neat, but you know, this this was a weird Super
1: Bowl all around. Um, and- what um me, I want to ask you about the halftime show though. what? because I, I, I love the weekend. I think he's awesome. I've listened to him since he had balloons <laughs> um, and loved the trilogy and all that. And I think I think it's a hard so much of what he does is vocal. And that's really not what the halftime show is about, right? It's like the spectacle of it. That's why Shakira and J-Lo worked so well. First off, Shakira could sing, but also like they're dancers, you know, and he's not, and he doesn't really have any songs where you're like really moving to them, you know? So you really have to appreciate the vocals of it. And I didn't, I didn't think, you know, that really shined through. Um, So I'm giving him, I'm kind of giving him a pass. I will say this, I would have appreciated some different songs. And I don't know if you, the song in mind that you felt like there are a couple that came to mind. I'm curious if there are any for you where you're like, man, I wish they had that he had played this one.
0: No, there really weren't any because I, I do think that the for a lot of people watching the Super Bowl, this may have been the first time that they had ever heard of the weekend. And they were busy wondering whether or not the broadcast made a mistake by leaving the E off. And and then he comes on stage and you're like, oh who's this guy? You know, I, I you know I think we're familiar with him, but I don't know that America necessarily is. I totally agree with you that he is very much a like a, a, a single stage performer. Like he, he to me is the, the side runner video game, right? Where it's like, from that perspective, it looks great. But if you were to take like the, the camera and put it above, you're like, Oh, this is really, really boring. Um, and, and that's uh, totally agree that he, he suffered from that a little bit, but this was a, a halftime show where you knew there was going to be no fans though. So you could play to the camera. You kind of knew that ahead of time. Sure. So, so I think that, he didn't even take advantage of of the space that he had, knowing that it was going to be like a, a camera stage type show. And he tried to do it with the fun house. But, you know, I, I think that once he got to the field and he had all the people with the lights, he didn't have to do all the movement, but the movement existed. And that's where it was more fun. Um, you know, a, a big choreographed item, even if he wasn't at the centerpiece of it, would have been, been a bit more appreciated um, than, than necessarily mm-hmm. him just like with a microphone doing what he typically does on stage.
1: I mean, you got to give him some credit for creating one of the most memeable moments in halftime history, right? Like, and I think he retweeted it today. Someone uh, put the Joker um, delivering his message to the Batman over <laughs> him in the in the Golden Eye room, um, which was great. I mean, that provided a ton of enjoyment. I will say this, I, and I I think your point is well taken. People, there were some people. Who have been living under a rock for the past, you know, 10 years who don't know who the weekend is, or hear like, oh, the weekend song, and they go, I've never heard of that band, <laughs> you know, um, because it sounds like it should be a band. And I think one of my favorite songs that he has ever uh recorded is the Dirty Diana um cover from, from MJ. And I think if he had sung that, he does that really well. And that would have helped, I think, some fans. Everyone knows who Michael Jackson is. So I think that might've helped a little bit. That was the one song that I thought he could have woven in from the trilogy. And I know they're I'm probably alienating a bunch of people just by talking about this, but if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's really freaking good.
0: Now, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. That would have been one hell of a hook. And I think a lot of, cause you, you have to play to the crowd. This is why you play the songs that everyone knows. Uh, I think my, my cousin described, I can't feel my face as the, the take on me of this generation right. It was like, everyone kind of knows the beat. It's kind of happy, you know, it's like, but not all the way. Um, and, and it is, I mean, everyone knows the song you have to play those hits. That's, that would have been one hell of a move, I think. Uh, and, and a solid one,
1: nonetheless, let's go. I'm going to try and I'm trying to get in touch with people, see if I can, um, you know get involved with the next performance
0: he was he was in a movie i forget what movie he was in he played a real bit role but it was really funny because he he was a total asshole in this movie and he hits on <laughs> the main character's wife and ends up doing like he's trying to get her to do like a rail of coke in a bathroom and he tries to hit her. i forget what movie this is uh it'll it'll it probably isn't going to come me i'll have to tweet it out later but <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna go look it up after <laughs> Please, you should because it's really funny it's a super bit role but it's it i i enjoyed it um so we've been talking about uh, a bit about the Niners last year Super Bowl this year Super Bowl. What do you think the Niners have to do to get back to the Super Bowl next year? And and I'm going to I'm going to preload the question for you. Let's talk about the quarterback right off the top. I'm going to give you 3 names and I want your first thought about the 49ers going after them. I okay. Like this just word association. Let's go. Carson Wentz. No. Give me another word just in case.
1: Death. <laughs> All right, Sam Darnold. Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kirk Cousins. Uh, Carson Wentz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 better version of Carson Wentz.
0: <laughs> Man cuz I, and I, i'm not going to put Deshaun Watson here cuz i think everyone knows Deshaun Watson would be would be a cheat yeah. code with Shanahan um and and while i think that that is the move everyone would want it, myself included you know it, it then becomes a you know how much do you want to give up and yada 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 and, and mm-hmm. but but to me i think that the, the niners are unless they get someone like uh Watson or in my opinion i actually think Kirk Cousins would be an upgrade over mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo um you yep. know the Carson Wensons and Sam Darnolds of the world those are those are like see what you got low risk kind of high reward type things they're not what you blow up your quarterback position for Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. is is I think good enough to win a Super Bowl um that doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to be the per- the player who's gonna like put you there every year um but he's he's okay um, but I think that you could get an upgrade with the Kirk cousins. I just don't know that like Wentz or Darnold are going to be it. And I certainly don't think Josh Rosen's it. Um, so it's like, no, they kind of just don't have necessarily any better options unless you start talking about the draft.
1: Well, let me just first say this about Carson Wentz. If you are thinking about trade draft, uh, trading for Carson Wentz, um, I would like a blood alcohol uh, content test, um, concentration test, whatever it is. Uh, first, know if you're in your right mind, I'd like to test you for acid and uh, all other kinds of hallucinogenic drugs. Going to the Kentucky Derby Um,
0: with Tom Brady and Wes Welker, maybe.
1: I mean, I, 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 it just he was atrocious last year. He was decent for 12 games, decent as uh, he was very good for 12 games with Frank Reich in 2017. But if you do any looking at the data behind that, you will realize that it was in situations that you don't expect to repeat. He was massively good on third down, massively good under pressure, things that you just expect to regress, and then they regressed. And it turns out he was just basically average. Um, And then all of a sudden his team, you know, he had the best offensive line in the NFL for two straight years. They became, you know, bottom 10, and he wilted. I mean, he turned into an absolute pumpkin. So I I just, I can't fathom, I cannot fathom trading for Carson Wentz unless the Eagles are sending you a first round pick at a minimum. That's where we even start. I would need a a text message to tell me that's what's going to be talked about in the conversation before I pick up the phone. Okay. No, absolutely not. Sam Darnold is the one of these that I can get with the most. And the reason for that is that I think he carries the least amount of, I have to give this guy a chance. And I'll talk about that with Kirk Cousins in a second, but I think you could bring Sam Darnold in. If, if New York says we're going to draft a QB or they package number two to the Texans for Watson um, Donald becomes expendable. You've got the solid connection. Um, you get him for somewhat cheap. And then you can say, look, this is a competition. Like, do you know that Sam Donald is better than Jimmy G? I don't. Um, and I'm a huge fan uh, of competition there. And you let them know, you know, you put it right in front of them and, you know, Uh, see what happens the thing with Kirk Cousins and you're right he is an upgrade from a performance standpoint on Jimmy G he is a massive downgrade in terms of leadership and culture building and how his teammates feel about him and I think if the Bucks win here showed us anything it's that along with great quarterback play the culture that Bruce Arians had the faith that the Bucks had in Tom Brady was huge now you have to perform well but that is a huge component And here's the biggest problem with Kirk Cousins. You bring Kirk Cousins in and you feel married to him. Kirk Cousins is never going to be a top five quarterback. He just isn't. And if you're going to be married to a guy and then start paying him and he's never going to reach there, you know, that level, it's going to discourage you from going after a better option should it arise. And so uh, for that reason, I would not go after Kirk Cousins.
0: That, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about... Because the, the worry on, on my end about the Niners is that the, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to allow them to reach their their full potential as either an offense or a team for, for a consistent amount of time. He might peak, but then, you know, he, he's going to kind of come back to where he lives before he peaks or doesn't peak again. And, and the worry is always that the Niners are going to be like... Nine and seven, ten and six, and, and on that fringe playoff, but never really, you know, kind of get back to number one seed unless everything goes well, um, and and or, or get home games in the playoffs and things like that. Um, it's interesting that you know if if he is any, since the team is not married to him and they are looking for upgrades, that might actually behoove the 49ers in general because if they were super duper married to him, they wouldn't look for a quarterback that was an upgrade. They wouldn't have dalliances with Tom Brady. Uh, or, or n- which now looks like a complete mistake and, and or, or any really other quarterback like, like uh, Stafford and stuff like that. So that, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it quite that way. <laughs> Maybe it's good that he's not a little, <laughs> that the team doesn't per- buy in much more to Jimmy Garoppolo.
1: Yeah. I, the Jimmy thing is such an interesting question because I, I keep going back to that Kittle play and I, there's no way Tom Brady and Gronk get called for OPI on that play. You know, and, you know, how it, Emmanuel Sanders, like, I think you might need to lay out. Does, does Brady's receiver lay out? And what does that say about Jimmy G? Does that mean he just needs, you know, he's somewhat youngish in his career, even though I know he's, you know, an older player in age, um, you know, but I don't think you get either of those things with Kirk Cousins. That's for darn sure. So, you know, I, I would rather... I would rather keep Jimmy for a year, and be willing to clean, you know, slate after this year, than go after your good buddy Kirk Cousins, and then four years later, we're having this conversation where it's like, I can't believe Kirk Cousins is still the Niners' quarterback.
0: Yeah, but you know that that uh, Shanahan loves his guys. There's a reason that Alex Mack is even considered to to the Niners at this point, even though Alex Mack is like, you know. Forty-two years old, or whatever the hell he is, I think mean, he's actually like thirty-six or something. But uh, that it's Shanahan loves his guys. He's gonna go after his guys. He thinks that the guys that he thinks are good are good. Uh, and it's not until the wheels fall off of them, like they did with Pierre Garçon, that that eventually they end up, you know, out of the Shanahan fold. Um, but but what else do the Niners have to do to get back to the Super Bowl? Because I I, I could easily see the Niners being a playoff team next year. Uh, I think they're they're a couple of games away this year, even with the disaster at quarterback that they had. Um, you know, a couple a couple different things break their way, and they're in the playoff hunt at the end of the season. Uh, so I think that they're a playoff team again next year. But what do they have to do to to compete now against you know an NFC that that now has Tom Brady as as the head of the NFC returning champion?
1: You know, to your point, Tom Brady is the not just the head of the NFC, but I think he's playing better than he ever has. Um, as crazy as that sounds, like his arm is strong. Mentally, he's like operating on another level. Um, so you're right, you got to go through him. Look, I, the quarterback is is the biggest one. And it's not even just about upgrading performance, it's stability, you know, the injuries to whoever you have there, like that is a huge thing. And that carries throughout the team. I mean, they were massively injury riddled. Um, so whether that's, looking at your performance staff and you know figuring out or is there something we can do you know was it all fluky you know were there some pieces there because as weird as that sounds like that's a huge part of it the Bucks were really healthy the Chiefs were not and at the end of the season that really matters so you know that's not something that you can necessarily change but that you hope gets better I think the biggest thing for me outside of the QB is what the coverage looks like. And I feel like I've been talking about this for a while, but I don't expect Richard Sherman to be back. Um, at least not based on the other offers that I think he will get just from listening to John Gruden, talk to him on the podcast. I think he's going to get a lot of offers. And by the way, Brandon Staley will be coming on the podcast next week to talk to Richard. So um, not saying that he's going to, uh, to uh, Los Angeles, but I don't expect him to be back. And, um, you know, I don't know what you're expecting, you know, from a Jason Barrett. Um, I, I, it's, there's a lot of questions in the secondary that I think need to be answered. Um, cause if you expect Nick Bosa to come back strong, and if you expect that D line and Kinla to take the next step and you have Fred Warner there in the middle and you feel really good about that, none of that matters. If you've got guys getting absolutely squished on the outside, you know, it's just not going to, it's not gonna work. So that's the big question mark for me. And I think that goes hand in hand with losing Salah because the the defensive coordinators you saw in the Super Bowl is massive and and Salah's amazing. So, you know, those are the two big things for me getting that 12th man, that defensive coordinator, and then getting players that he could use in coverage. Cause if not, then you've got a situation where you're asking Jimmy to score 40 and two good ankles or no good ankles. I don't know if it's happening.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's where we were at the beginning of twenty twenty, right? Is you you know the defense is going to regress a little bit because for them to maintain mm-hmm. the the historic level that they were at in twenty nineteen, you just can't expect that. And so if if they're going to take a little step back, and they did take a step back, they still managed a fairly good season, especially with all the pieces they had. You you knew the offense was going to have to do more and shoulder more. Um, I don't know that they're able to to shoulder more than they were able to do in twenty nineteen. Um, that that might yeah. be just what this offense looks like. And so in order to get back to the Super Bowl, yeah, I think you need to get some athletes on defense. You think of the the Jamel Deans of the world, Tampa Bay secondary. I mean, Jamel Dean was was what? He was like a third-round pick. Um, but he's he's mm-hmm. a big, strong, fast guy. He's the speed that the, the 49ers like to draft. And so, yeah, I think if you're looking at that first-round pick, if you're not going to pick a quarterback, which would you pick a quarterback at 12? Let's say Trey Lance is there because I think the first three quarterbacks are likely going to be gone. Let's presume no trade-up. Do you take Trey Lance there, or do you take someone? Uh, do you take a corner? you know, at twelve, knowing what you have in the
1: secondary. Man, I would be really tempted by Trey Lance. I would be kind of shocked if he's still there. Um, I've seen, I've listened to Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay and Mel Kiper, and they all seem to think. You know, some of them think, if not all of them, think that he will go ahead of Fields. Um, so one can, one can hope that that's the case. Cause I would rather have fields than, than Trey Lance Look at 12, given all of the things in interviewing Trey Lance, check out, I'm taking Trey Lance. Um, and, uh, I am giving it a try. Um, you know, but I think his mobility is kind of tantalizing. Honestly, if you consider Shanahan's system, he's got a great arm. Um, and, uh, you know, playing at North Dakota state, you expect him to dominate. Well, he dominated. So uh, all of those things would say, look, you can get a corner and he can be really good. But if Jimmy G is, you know, it's QB 17, doesn't matter. So go get the quarterback. And I'd be interested, you know, I'd definitely listen to offers. You know, if you had a team that was willing to give you a haul, um, and you wanted to give it one more year with Jimmy, and then, you know, you have that extra draft capital and whatnot. But, um, I'd be really tempted. What would you do?
0: Yeah, I do think the importance of the quarterback is is such that you have to consider drafting Trey Lance. If Fields, for some reason, is there at 12, that's absurd. Yeah, you take Fields. Um, but you know that we're going to end up with, like, Mac Jones if the Niners draft a no. quarterback. Oh, come on. He no. has Shanahan no written way. all over his pudgy little no, body. he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, no, no. No, no. No, he does not.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> Austin, do not I, do I this agree. To me, I okay? agree with you.
0: I agree. I do not think... That the Niners should draft Mac Jones, but this is the, the, Shanahan is the man who fell in love with C.J. Beathard.
1: Yeah, but you, C.J. C- Beathard has a little has a little juice to him. Mac Jones ain't is not rolling out of the pocket, and ah, come on, no, it, come on, you're,
0: you're talking about uh the, you're, you're talking about a quarterback whose biggest attribute in in C.J. Beathard is his toughness. Like that guy's not moving much either. The fact that he is a statue, right, and can get hit is what makes him apparently desirable to Shanahan. Mac Jones is, is, is there. The, the thing that I think would, would wow Shanahan for Mac Jones is the, the ability to play successfully in, a, a, even a, a collegeified pro style offense. Cause Sarkeesian's offense has, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of reads, a lot of RPOs a, and a lot of terminology and protections that you can see run in the NFL on Sundays. And oftentimes you hear Shanahan talk about like, well, it's difficult to translate those spread skills to the NFL. He's still a little old school in that regard. He doesn't, you know, I don't know that he can you know, necessarily say like, oh yeah, Watson, he played spread, but yes, he's going to be good. That's why he passed on him. That's why he passed on Mahomes. Um, You know, he needs to kind of see it in order to, in order to believe that he can draft it. And I think Mac Jones ticks those boxes off. This is not an endorsement of Mac Jones. I do not want to touch Mac Jones with a 10 foot pole. He may be, you know, like Daniel Jones, good, where it's like you have a couple of games, and it's like, okay, he's not a disaster, but and he's a disaster, um, you know, and and so I don't think that this is me endorsing Mac Jones. I just, I just feel it in my bones for some reason that this is the guy that Shanahan
1: wants. Oh man, I would be. I don't know if I'd be more crushed <laughs> than I was when we passed on Derwin James. Um, that one hurt too. <laughs> but I would be. I still haven't gotten over it. I still haven't. Derwin James, like one of my favorite. Derwin James has been, you know, injured in classic Chargers fashion for, you know, 90% of his career. Derwin James is still one of my favorite players in the NFL. And if he can put together a healthy season is the best safety in the NFL as well. So, um, yeah, that that one one hurts. I don't know if this one would hurt more. The thing that annoys me about Mac Jones, you talked about, cj bethard's biggest attribute being his toughness well mac jones is his stomach so (laughs) i I just i can't get behind it i just can't
0: oh my goodness i just i would you know those like those, those and i'm not
1: fat shaming i'm not fat shaming don't come at me with that okay Look, you play a, a professional sport. I can talk about whether you're in shape or not. I'm, I can do that.
0: Those, those services that you pay like on social media to scrub all your old tweets of like <laughs> a, offensive things that you've said, he's <laughs> looking for one to scrub that image from the internet. The internet's forever. It's, it's always there.
1: Um, he's got to embrace it. He's got to embrace it. He's got to go to Pittsburgh and uh, go from Big Ben to Big Mac. <laughs> oh
0: my God, Big Mac. I can't believe I didn't think about that until just this second. Oh, no. Perfect. I'm never going to be able to put that out of my mind. Never. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. for that. <laughs> yeah, I think corners definitely it. I think you do have to get uh, as crazy as it sounds. I wouldn't be mad if they drafted like a speed rusher in, in the first round on, on the defensive end mm-hmm. it's Very on brand for the 49ers, but especially like pay. Yeah, I mean, especially if they get rid of D Ford, which if he is still injured, it gets dicey, as I'm sure you know, but Let's say he's not, Mm -hmm. he can clear physicals. It wouldn't surprise me for the Niners to cut him. They, they do need some juice on that other end of the the line. And Jordan Willis is going to be a fine backup, I think, but, but other than him, you really don't have much else. And and I know it would really kind of be a a gut punch. I guess no, no Mac Jonesing intended here, but it, it would feel a bit that way. But, but I think it would make sense for how this team wants to be constructed And I do think it makes sense to put resources on the defense, unless you're going to put some resources in the offensive line, which you may be able to solve other ways, either with players you have on the roster or potentially someone like Alex Mack.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting one. I mean, and I, I, look, I'm as excited about athleticism as any human is out there. Okay. I I tell people this a lot, but like, if anyone wants to say I'm like a, a nerd, like, look, when I played fantasy baseball, I used to draft the most athletic like player in double A. <laughs> We'd do like, you know, um auction drafts. And I would I would literally have an empty spot on my roster for like BJ Upton. You know, and I'd follow Durham Bulls games back in the day, see if he was, you know, gonna make the big league soon. So um I'm as for you know a guy like Quidi Pay as there there is out there. But here's the tough thing. If you look at 12, so I expect Farley to be off the board. I think that's one that makes sense for the Cowboys. That's something that Mike Renner talked about. He he really likes that fit. Um, and maybe, and, I, and I think that would be something the Cowboys desperately need. Um, so I could get behind a corner as well. And that's the tough thing is like, you know, where do you go? Because are you going to get, a corner in round two that you feel good about answer is maybe I, I don't know you know so that's a tough one whereas you already have a pretty solid defensive line and you've seen that there's a lot of value out there you can find guys just like the bucks did on the, you know on their second team who can be successful for you um and you don't want to you don't want to put all your resources in the defensive line so i would That would be a tough one for me. I'd obviously look to trade down if there was a a QB, you know, available. If someone did like Mac Jones, you know, maybe it's the Patriots or something. Um, I have a hard time going speed rusher, though, because how are you going to feel if it's like, you know, pay and Bosa whipping people off the edge, but it doesn't matter because guys are wide open downfield.
0: Yeah, I think in how would I feel? I would be sick with that, and I I, I wouldn't have let it get <laughs> yeah. to this point, right? I wouldn't let it get to this point. But this is a team who, in their ethos, believes you build from the defensive line. So this is this is one of those times where I've I've kind of as as I've grown up a little bit, George, as I've been watching this <laughs> team I call my own, and, and and this team that I love so dearly. Rather than try to fit them into the 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 square peg that I want them to be, rather than saying like get a corner, you need cover players. I'm, I've now moved on to just trying to understand what and why they do. Um, and so I, I could see them going after a defensive line. I understand that logic, even if I personally would probably say, yeah, I'm taking a corner. And then, you know, if I can't trade down and I, and I come around to the second round and, and there's another corner that I like, I, I'll take that corner too. I'll, t- I'll take two. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. you need them you're never going to run out of corners as the Niners you know, showed you this season or get a safety or someone uh, because Marcel Harris, uh, my dude, that, that's not it. He, he is not it. Oh. So I would definitely do either of those things. I think last question before I let you go is what you would do at center or right guard because I think the rest of the line, especially if you can resign uh, or resign Trent Williams um, is, is probably set. But now it's center. Now it's guard. We know center is the important piece in Shanahan's offense. Do you bring in someone like Old Man Mac? Do you do you run it back with Ben Garland? Do you, you try to see if Weston Richburg's leg is going to hold up against mm-hmm. the rigors uh, of another season of football, uh, given his salary? What do you do at center?
1: I, mean, I think I'm drafting one. Um, and here's the thing that I like about interior offensive linemen: um, there, there's a lot of information that you can get from just doing a little bit more homework on college players, you can find out whether this guy is going to be serviceable in your in your scheme. Um, you can go, you know, it, we do this all the time. We've done this for teams at, at PFF, where we go take a look at, you know, the, the types of schemes that these guys have played in and how they've played in those schemes relative to what we'd expect. And, and that's a place where you can find tremendous value because you're not going out and you're pay, not paying them a ton um, you're getting them when they're at their most healthy. And I think there's an opportunity this year where people are going to feel like they know less about players to take advantage of that. And so I think you spend a couple of later round draft picks uh, on those guys, um, you know, bring them in, teach them the system. You know, they'll already know, you know, uh, kind of what they're doing there because they've run in in college. And I don't have anyone off the top of my head right now because I haven't fully gotten into the third and fourth round of the NFL draft yet, but that's probably where I'm looking. I Some of these older guys, like, like Alex Mack, who I love, if you are, you are then probably still going to need to go draft a guy, right? Because like, how confident yeah. are you going to be that he's going to be able to play, you know? So um, I think you're probably still looking for a backup, even if you go the free agency route. So I'm just kind of cutting out the middleman and going straight to the draft.
0: Yeah. And what that looks like, what I'm imagining that looks like when you look at the data and try to identify a player that performs well in the system is you're looking at splits in terms of play type, right? You're saying, okay, outside Mm -hmm. zone, let's look at the players that have run a lot of outside zone. Do they perform well? Do they grade well in that scheme versus let's say you're a gap heavy team or something like that? Um, And I think offensive line. You, you end up having, because they have so many more plays where they are actively doing something, either you know getting beat as a, as a pass blocker or trying to do something positive in the run game, you have more individual snaps of information that you can rely on um, that, that I think you know probably puts you in, in a good place. This is going to be an interesting draft because I think teams hopefully are going to rely more so on some of the data that allows you to identify mm-hmm. these gems um, just because they feel like they have to maybe. Um, and maybe it's a swing towards something they probably should do more often.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I, I could see that. I could see that going the other way too, where they feel like the data is not as useful because, you know, oh, well this last season, you know, I'm not just,
0: yeah, they I gotta can't go on
1: feel. I gotta watch his workouts. I, I don't know. I, I always, I always like to assume the best and, um, expect the worst, I guess, uh, but the cool thing about this, this draft is I do think we'll see a lot of movement with players, you know, current players. And I think it'll make the market a little more liquid. So if you're trying to move up or down, um, I do think that'll be a little more possible where it's it hasn't been as much in the past. And I'm all for that. I think that's gonna be that's gonna be a benefit. We just get to sit back and watch and, you know, in our case, potentially cry uh, you know, when the pick <laughs> actually gets called. All right. Well, my God,
0: I, well, you know what I will, I will be in your DMS if we end up drafting Mac Jones uh, more so than anything else, but hopefully I will not, hopefully I will just ignore, ignore, ignore uh, and really celebrate the corner that we end up drafting or maybe a quarterback who the hell knows. Um, George, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Thanks so much for all of your insight. It's always a pleasure to have you on my friend.
1: Anytime brother. I, I, nothing gives me more pleasure in both griping about and analyzing the San Francisco 49ers. So, all the best to you, man, and hopefully, we get to do this again soon.
0: Well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. If you like what you hear, make sure that you subscribe on whatever you listen to podcasts on. Make sure that you follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always, go Niners.